Scripture reading this morning will be in Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through 8. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds of the air ate it up. Some fell on rock, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still, other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he had said this, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Stand together. Good morning, family. Man, y'all sound good. Can I tell you, I love worshiping the Lord. I love worshiping the Lord with you. The sing together, praying together, hugs before, hugs after. It's a good place to be. Good place to be. Good to have our Spanish brethren with us as well. The whole family's together. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. I want to introduce to you this morning our speaker. For those of you that maybe weren't here for Bible class, they got the chance to hear Doug. My brother Doug Peters is here to speak to us this morning. Everyone is aware of the transition that we have planned for, and that, that time is here. So we've had a good session with Doug so far. Brother Doug uh, spent four hours with the elders Friday night. It was tough to uh, stay awake, frankly. Not because of Doug, by the way. That didn't sound right. I, I was listening to myself talk just then. I thought, that's not coming out right. I'm just not a late-night person. <laughs> Let me start over. We spent four hours with Doug Friday night. We spent three, three or four hours again with Doug yesterday with the search committee, and Doug did a great job uh, informing the entire congregation this morning during Bible class of the, uh, of the process that we're about to undertake. So Brother Doug's a great brother. His wife Cheryl's here with him as uh, well. They, they, they said they were only coming to Arizona if it was one, ten, or more. So they achieved that goal. Uh, Doug's a Texas guy, but that's okay. I've been there too. Many of us have. Um, Brother Doug is the managing partner and the vice president for Interim Ministry Partners, and they work with hundreds of churches of Christ throughout the years, part of the Hope Network. And Doug has a passion for helping churches, Doug and his team, helping churches in the, in the spiritual discernment and the selection of leaders. We want to maximize this time of the interim season. So we're, we're so happy that Doug's here with him. I want you to know a little bit about him and uh, introduce him to you. Doug, Thank rather you, crowd you. And I just want to tell you, it is good to be with you. Um, and it's not going to be just 110. I think this week you're going to experience 118 is what I've heard. Wow. You know, anybody can be a Christian in the rest of the United States. It takes real the followers of Jesus to be a Christian here. Man, oh man, oh man. And Houston area where I live, Houston, Texas, it gets hot, 90s. Occasionally approaching 100, but we have this thing called humidity that goes along with it. And so I told some folks where I uh, preach regularly, I'm going to Phoenix, and they said, Oh, don't worry, it's a dry heat, you know, but it's still hot. 
is still really, really hot. Now, I want to tell you, if you have the choice of being here this week or next week, don't miss next week. Skip this week, okay? Because Greg Anderson is going to be here to preach. He's going to be your interim minister for a season. And I want everybody here to, to tell Greg you want to see him walk on water because Doug Peters built him up and told you he could walk on water, right? Uh, now, there's not a lot of water in Phoenix to walk on, but, but nonetheless, uh, Greg is a great, great friend, uh, a partner in ministry, um, a dearly loved brother. You're going to fall in love with Greg Anderson as your interim minister. He is not your next minister, and he won't be your next minister long term. But Greg's going to be here to, to preach most Sundays. He's going to be here to, to coach your search team as you look for a new minister. And he's going to be here to be a consultant for your congregation. You have all three of those things in Greg Anderson. A consultant with your eldership, your church staff, your leadership, your congregation. A, a, a coach for your search team as well is a very effective communicator and preacher of God's holy word. And so as you begin this season, I'm excited for you. We have a little motto that says, from transition to transformation. This is not just about getting the next guy. This is about the opportunity, the window of opportunity, maximizing it for maximum congregational transformation. You don't know who you need until you know who you are and who God's calling you to be. That's what this process is about. We talked about that in the Bible class time. We talked about that yesterday with a significant number of, of core leaders of this church family. You'll get to know more about that. And your elders will help you and John and his team will help you do that. Now, I want you to turn your Bibles over to Luke chapter 8. We'll be there in just a moment. Uh, I regularly get questions as I travel around the United States. People ask me questions. I hear lots of questions. Uh, frequently, they want to know about the state of the church. They say, Doug, you've been in numerous, numerous states and talked to dozens and dozens of churches just in, in recent times, the last few years. So, so what's going on out there in the brotherhood? That's a fairly common question that I get. What's going on in the church at large? What's going on in particular congregations? And many churches, many church leaders and members in this season, in this time, are just a little bit anxious. Well, it's the COVID, right? It's, it's coming out of pandemic time. It's, it's the most overused word of the last year and a half. Unprecedented, right? It really is. We don't know exactly how things are happening. Some of you are watching online now that, that previously you didn't know that you could, perhaps, or you couldn't, perhaps, but now you are. And we're trying to figure out what that looks like. Some have, have loosened their connections with the church during this time. Their community is missing. It's important for you to, to bring them back into fellowship. We just don't know sometimes. Uh, some people say, well, well tell us, uh, what about the growth of the church? Or frequently the question is, we're experiencing a lot of decline in our church. In fact, most churches of Christ in America are either plateaued or declining. Research shows that. Statistically and anecdotally over recent years. And so people ask questions about church growth, right? And, and frequently they say, you know, what's a good program that we can get? Like right? $99 and we can download this. We can buy this. Amazon will prime it to us quickly. 
That'll fix everything, right? We're looking for the quick fix, right? Too often we operate that way, looking for the quick fix. Or, you know, if we just get the right elders, that'll fix everything. Or maybe in your case, some are thinking, if we just get the right preacher, that will take care of everything. I want to raise a question or two. The first one is simply this. What kind of church will we be? What kind of church will you be? Uh, well, Doug, we're a church of Christ. Yes, yes, yes. I know what that means. I know, I know how, how you approach Scripture. I know the heritage from which you serve. I know that you believe in the Great Commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel and baptize people and teach people and trust God's Holy Spirit to be with you in that. But how are you doing that? How are you going to do that? Uh, Frequently, too often, I hear another question around the country, and that is, Doug, does this one's not as bold, but does our church have a future? We look at our churches and sometimes they're aging, getting older. There, there are more gray heads than other heads in the church. And that's not bad. I mean, we want a lot of gray heads in the church. Some of us are getting less and less on top. Jesus knows how many hairs are there or how many are not, right? What do we do? What kind of church will we be? Does our church really have a future? Well, today I want to talk to you about how your church can grow. I want to talk about how your church can grow. And I'm not saying the old church growth stuff from the 1980s that a lot of people bought into. I'm not talking about that kind of growth. I am interested in in numbers of people because every one of those numbers represents a soul, a person. That the Lord needs. The book of Acts tells us about 120, about 3,000, about a whole bunch more. Multitudes, great crowds. And so people are important. You live in a very fast-growing area of the United States. Phoenix is the fifth largest city in America. Uh, Mesa itself has grown at a rate of 1.91% over the last decade. Meanwhile, your kingdom footprint of your congregation has gotten smaller as your population around you has gotten bigger. We look at that and we think, what opportunities we have. You see, I'm an optimist, and I'm excited to be with you. I'm excited Greg Anderson's going to be with you. You can maximize this season, and I want to encourage you to do just that. Well, when you get to Luke chapter 8... Um, and I realize this the more I study Scripture, there are those little nuggets that we kind of skip over, but we've read in chapter 7 about this sinful woman who anoints Jesus, and it's a great, great story. It's something that happened on one day that was significant enough for Dr. Luke to record that and have it in our New Testaments, and that's a neat, neat thing, a neat story. That's not the story we're going to look at today, though. And then we get into chapter 8, and we quickly look over to verse 4 that our brother read for us before the service. It's about, it's about soil, right, and seeds. And some of the seeds were scattered on a hard path. And I'm reading that and hearing that, and I'm thinking, you know, I don't want to be hard like that. I want to be, 
I want to be uh, the kind of environment that God can do something with, that God will do something with. And, and, you know, and some of the, the seed falls in rocky places. And I, I realize there are too many rocky spots in my life and I want there to be less. And, and some of it falls among the thorns and it sort of like just gets choked out. But some seed falls in good soil. And, and we hear Jesus' story and he's going to explain it even, even more detail later there in chapter 8. And, and we just think, man, I want to be good soil and I'm looking for good soil. I want to share the, the seed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and I want there to be good soil. And that's a great story. It's a story we could talk about for a long time, but that's not the story that I want to talk about. Not a story Jesus told on one day, the parable of the soils, and not an incident that happened on on an occasion, that woman there at the end of chapter 7. I want you to look at the first three verses of chapter 8. We'll be there in just a moment. It's, It's a description of how things were on many days. Description of how things were on many days. Not just on one occasion when Jesus told a story. And not just on one occasion when a a certain woman came and anointed Jesus. Not, Not that. But it's how things were a lot of the time. You know, we all have those moments in our lives, those peak spiritual moments that are right up here. And we want to tell people about the time this happened, right? Joel took the kids and they went to a great thing at Uplift and here's what happened. And they'll come back and they'll be excited and they'll tell everybody about it. It's a great thing. This event, this incident, this experience. But then there's all the rest of the time and that's where we live mostly is all the rest of the time. So in Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, I want you to keep these two questions in mind. What kind of church will we be? And then that second question is, does our church have a future? Keep those two questions in mind. All right. Luke chapter 8. At this time of Jesus' ministry, he's facing rising opposition. Uh, The cross is is drawing nearer and nearer. The synagogues uh, are, are banning Jesus. The Jewish leaders are pressuring those synagogue rulers. The the welcome mat is not being rolled out to Jesus. Not much anymore at this point. Luke chapter 8, I'm beginning with verse 1. After this, after what happened at a really neat event at the end of chapter 7 with that woman. After this, now here's what happened on lots of days. Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. You see, a church with a future looks outward. A church with a future looks outward. A church with a future is externally focused. It looks outward. And so, will our church be that kind of church? That's what Jesus was doing. He traveled about from one town and village to another, right? Uh, The pulpit of Jesus uh, happens to be a hillside sometimes, a shore, a boat, an open home. Um, In Texas, we have this guy named Willie that lives there. He's he's like 120 years old almost now. And, And he had a song many years ago called On the Road Again. And in a sense, that's where Jesus is. He's on the road again. Uh, Jesus didn't get just one address and set up shop and be right here. He didn't do that. He was on the road again. He was out and about. He was with people where people are.
We need to get that picture clearly in our minds. We need to go where people are. The business of being a disciple is not just to get people in here in a nice air-conditioned room on a Sunday morning. The business of being a disciple is to act like Jesus and, and share Jesus out there all the time. And the benefit is that, that more and more will come and be a part of this air-conditioned space on a Sunday morning. But we're called to be disciples of Jesus more than just an hour or two or three a week. The action doesn't take place in here. The action takes place out there. It's where the people are. It's where the people that need to hear the good news message, the gospel message of Jesus. It's where they're living. It's where they're working. It's where they're going to school. It's where they're going through, as our brother told us, uh, traffic lights. I uh, have a rental car and I'm just hoping, just hoping I don't get one of those letters because I was kind of driving and, and figured out where exactly I'm going, and, uh, and it was yellow, and uh, I don't know how much leeway they give you around here on that, but I know they can take a picture of my license plate and send me a letter all the way back in Texas. And so I'm going to call Dallas and get him to handle it for me. <laughs> That's what I'll do. That's what I'll do. But we need this picture in our minds. Uh, do we expect people just to pop in here like in Acts chapter 8 and in King James English say something like, what doth hinder me to be baptized? There's some water somewhere. Do we expect people to do that? That didn't happen a lot in our world today. Yeah, one of the, one of the big things that's happening is, is, is we've got this sort of Christian subculture that's developing, and, and it's more prominent in certain parts of the country than others. But, but you know, in, in many of our larger cities, we can sort of listen to our Christian radio station only. We can sort of manage to, to get to hang around just among other disciples of Jesus only. I'm fully, we have Christian bookstores sometimes. Amazon's about to put them all out of business, but hey, you know, we've got some of those. Um, and, and I'm halfway expecting to see Christian grocery stores popping up pretty soon. So we don't have to rub shoulders with anybody who's a pagan. We can, we can insulate ourselves to the point that we smother ourselves. Are we concerned about the secularism and the pagan aspects of our world? Well, absolutely. Uh, so what do we do? Let's huddle up and don't interact with them at all. No. We go out and we be things like, like salt and light in the world. Things that are distinctly different than that to which they are applied. That's how Jesus described his followers. You're, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. And, and salt has to, to be mixed with something different than it is to do what it does. And light has to be applied to the darkness. And that's who you are, Christian. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. Now go be that. Yeah, we're going to get together on Sunday. We're going to encourage you to go do that. But it's not over, right? We didn't just check our box and say we're done when we leave here today. The mission awaits. The mission of God does not primarily happen in here on a Sunday morning. The mission of God is primarily where you work and where you go to school and where you live and where you travel and where you shop. That's really where the mission of God primarily occurs. 
And that's what we see Jesus doing. That's how we see Jesus being here. You remember over in in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus said, come follow me. And he said, I'll send you out to to fish for people, basically is what he said, to fishermen on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Follow me, and, and you won't fish for slimy, smelly, scaly fish. You'll fish for people. And he convinced people like, people like Peter and Andrew and James and John to get on board with that cause. And, and they left everything and they followed him and they did just that. That calling's still yours today. Fish for people. It's not, you know, and the people are out there. The people are not all, you know, confined in one space. It's, it's not like fishing in, in the freezer section with Mrs. Paul's frozen fish fillets, right? That's not it. They have to be caught. And you don't catch things that you're not around. The people need to hear the good news of the kingdom of God aren't in here. At least most of them. Now you need to be reminded. But the people that really need to hear the good news of the kingdom of God are out there. And guess what? You can't hire anybody to do it for you. That's your job. It's my job. It's our job. So that's the first thing I would tell you is that a church with a future is going to grow outward. It's going to grow outward. And notice this, this, this message here, verse 8, verse, eight, verse 1. The, it's, the, it's the message of the good news of the kingdom of God. The good news of the kingdom of God. You see, the message that we take is good news. And, and guess what? We like to tell good news. Something great happens. The sons are tearing apart the NBA. That's good news. We get excited about that, right, Jackie? Absolutely. Absolutely we do. You see, gospel preaching is not providing good advice. It's proclaiming good news. It's proclaiming the good news of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus that influences the the sinful part of my life and the lives of other people. And we can participate in that death, burial, and resurrection in our baptisms. And we can live a new life. Forgiveness of sins, gift of the Holy Spirit. And that's a great message. And guess what? If, if we're telling it in such a way that it's not being received as good news, maybe we need to back up and rethink how we're telling it. Because that's great news. That's awesome news. Will we be a church of outward focus? Or will we be a people who basically just take care of our own? Remember Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17? He prayed something like this. My prayer is not that you would take them out of the world. Jesus didn't pray that we'd be taken out of the world, but, but that you would protect them from the evil one. Lord, God, Father, protect them from the evil one as they're in the world. May they be one as, as we are one, Father, Son, and Spirit, so that the world may know. So our internal life of unity in community is important, and it's a reflection, because when we're divided, we present a bad message. People look at that and say, I don't want any part of that. There's enough fighting and feuding going on in the world. Just turn on the TV news, right? But no, that's, that's, that's not the kingdom of God. Rarely will you find the kingdom of God being proclaimed on CNN or Fox or MSNBC or ABC or, CB, or you pick it, right? Rarely will you find the kingdom of God being proclaimed there. But, but, but the church has a message of the good news of the kingdom of God. The reign and rule of God is what we are about. 
And it's good news. And you need to hear it. And you need to be reminded it's good. Some of you need to inform your faces that it's good news. Because it really, really is. But this little account, these few verses, raise a, another issue. What kind of church will we be? Look at the middle of verse 1. Uh, the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, that's where she's from, Magdala, shore of the Sea of Galilee, from whom seven demons, a fullness of demons, had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. This passage gives us a glimpse of the incredible diversity of those who follow Jesus, not just on one day, but on lots of days. Remember this, this context. This is how things were on lots of days. Not just on one occasion when a woman anointed Jesus, or on one occasion when Jesus told a really neat story about soil and seed and hearts. But this is how things were on lots of days. And, and think about the 12 that are with Jesus. Think about how diverse this group is. You have Peter, Andrew, James, and John. They're all fishermen on the Sea of Galilee. Uneducated fishermen, Galileans, perhaps, there, the people would be thinking. It's how they talked, anyway. Uh, you know, these are fishermen. Uh, you know, in Houston, I could, if I was preaching there, I'd say, go down to, to the North Shore there, go down to the, the Longshoremen's Union house and take a look at those fellas down there. That's the kind of guys these guys were. Get that in mind. Then you have Matthew following here, right? He's a, he's a, a sellout that collects taxes for the Romans. That's how people would view him. He's despised by the Jews as a traitor. And then you had somebody in that group, besides Matthew and Peter, Andrew, James, John, you had a guy like Simon the Zealot, the right-wing resistance, the Zealots. That's why he wouldn't stand being around a guy like Matthew, sold out to the Romans. The Zealots were so right-wing resistant that they would sneak up in crowds, and if there was a Roman soldier there, they had little daggers, little Zealot knives, and, and they would just kind of pop them in the back. They'd drop like a sack of potatoes they put it back in and go on, their little long flowing robe covering up their assassin's knife. That's the kind of guys the zealots were. Can you imagine the political discussions around fish eating a breakfast on the shore of the Sea of Galilee? Very, very different people. You had Peter there, he's a man of impulse and action, right? Cut off the high priest servant's ear flop over to the other side and deny Jesus blankety-blank, blankety-blank, blankety-blank three times. That's Peter. You have John, sometimes wanting to call down fire from heaven, but sometimes talking about love and truth as he wrote. You have Thomas, who's kind of like me, wondering, does all this add up? Doubting a little bit. I, I came across an article recently... It's a memo from the Jordan River Area Management Consultants to Jesus, the son of Joseph. Thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men you've picked for management positions in your new organization. All of them have now taken our battery of tests, and we have not only run the results through our computer, but also arranged personal interviews with each of them with our corporate psychologist and our vocational aptitude consultant. 
The profiles of all the tests are included, and you'll want to study them carefully. As part of our service, we will make some general comments. These are given as a result of staff consultation and come without any additional fee. It is the staff opinion that most of your nominees are lacking in background, education, and vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise that you're undertaking. They do not have the team concept. We recommend you start over. Continue with your search elsewhere. Simon Peter, he's emotionally unstable, given to fits of temper. Andrew has absolutely no qualities of leadership. The brothers James and John place personal interest above company loyalty, and they're enmeshed with their mother in some unhealthy ways. Thomas has a skeptical attitude that would tend to undermine morale. It is our duty to tell you that Matthew has been blacklisted by the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, have radical leanings. They show a high score on the manic depressive scale. Only one shows great potential, ability, resourcefulness, a business mind. He meets people well. He's ambitious. He's highly motivated. We recommend that Judas Iscariot be your right-hand man and controller. Do you see the diversity of the people? But, but somehow together in this thing that was evolving as the kingdom of God that Jesus was bringing in in a very special way, these people that were very different came together and the good news of the kingdom of God was their message. And they became salt and they became light. They became different, but yet they loved that to which they were applied the world around them. You notice there's women in this text. Mary Magdalene, she formerly had seven demons, a, a fullness of, of Satan in her life, and Jesus took care of her. And She shows amazing loyalty to Jesus uh, from that very small town in the Sea of Galilee. We've uncovered the, the synagogue there. I take people there. We'll be taking a group in, in October. It got there shortly after it was open, one of the first groups to ever really see that synagogue there. That's where she was from, right there, that little bitty spot on the Sea of Galilee. And she's there, and she's following Jesus. And, and she stood by the cross. Romans, I mean, Matthew chapter 27, verse 56 tells us that. She, she watched the burial, verse 61. John 20 tells us that she was the first to see Jesus after the resurrection. He made a difference in her life. I don't know anything about Susanna, but, but Joanna, the wife of Chusa, she's married to Herod's chief steward. She's a, a prominent woman of the court, perhaps, society, high society. And, and you have the small town girl, and you have this other person, Susanna, and you have Mary from Magdala, of all places. And, and together they come to Jesus, and the text says there are many others that are part of this. They weren't just back home. They were, they were out there in this band of, of traveling missionaries, good news of the kingdom of God proclaimers. These women were with these guys doing that out there. It's not just how things were on one day. It's how things were on lots of days. The question is, will it be how things are around here? Will we be a church like Jesus? Will our church have a future? Diverse group of people. You know, uh, we've often heard sayings like, all the ground is level at the foot of the cross. We don't care what your educational level is. We don't care what color you are. We don't care where you've been. We don't care what you've done. You need to come to Jesus Christ. We say that. It's good words. But then we come together and we look an awful lot alike. Will we be a church that is outward focus. Will we be a church 
of diverse people. There are no first and second class citizens in the kingdom of God. Too often, 9 or 10 or 10.15 is the most segregated hour of the week in our lives. It ought not to be that way, brothers and sisters. Some churches are, are kind of like Velcro. People, people are attracted to them and they just sort of stick to them. I've been warned that you have jumping cactuses here. Or is that cacti? Is it cactuses or cacti? I don't know. But anyway, you have, you have cactuses that, that go out there and grab you almost. I've heard about this around here. I'm kind of a little worried. We're going to make a little trip up towards Sedona, and I hope I don't encounter any of those things. But, but, but churches, some churches are, are Velcro. They just sort of reach out and grab you and bring you in. And, and this church impresses me of being very friendly. And I want to encourage that. Put that on steroids and be that way even more. Uh, but, but some churches, and sometimes even friendly churches, can become more instead of like Velcro, like Teflon. We just slide right out. People slide in, they slide out. If they don't fit the model, if they don't look like us exactly, then, then, then they kind of slide out. And so I want to encourage you to apply some Velcro to your congregation. Keep the people that are here, yes, but reach out there and grab some others. Go fishing. Be salt. Be light. Make a difference in the world. The gospel is for all. We can sing that song, the gospel is for all. But it really is. We need to quit singing it and go out and live it. What kind of church will we be? We'll be grow as diverse members. It's not about being politically correct. It's about being Christ-like. That's what it's about. What kind of church will we be? Uh, look now down at verse 3, the middle part of verse 3. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. These women were helping to support them, Jesus and his band of missionaries, out of their own means. Luke thought it was noteworthy to point out to us that the ongoing, regular, day-in, day-out ministry of Jesus of Nazareth and his disciples was dependent on the sacrificial service and support of this group of women. Luke thought that was important to tell us. You see, a church with a future looks to serve and serve sacrificially. A church with a future looks to serve sacrificially. Will we grow in service? You have an opportunity in this interim season to grow in service, and I want to challenge you to do just that. See, all Holy Spirit-empowered Believers, disciples of Jesus, when you were baptized, you received the gift of, of the Holy Spirit and your forgiveness of sins. And that gift of God's Holy Spirit is not just so you'll be able to jump three pews in a single bound. That's not really what that's about. It is so you will live like Jesus and be conformed to the character and the image of Jesus Christ. There are at least four passages that talk about the gifts of God's Holy Spirit in the church. Think 4s and 12s, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12. I don't have time to get into all those. But the, 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 the believers had leaders who equipped them and they used their gifts to serve and to serve sacrificially. If you're not serving, if you're not participating in the ministry, the ongoing ministry of the good news of the kingdom of God in this church, find your place to serve. I would like for y'all, I can say y'all, right? I would like for y'all, that's the plural you in Texan, I'd like for y'all to drive your shepherds crazy saying, I need to serve, I want to serve, I want to do something, okay? 
I, I, wish, I wish your elders would get emails and phone calls, not gripes and complaints, but, but saying, I want to serve. How can I serve more effectively? be a great problem to have. They're going to double down on, on shepherding and prayer in this next season as they're empowering this search team. You need to be serving. You need to be serving sacrificially in this time. Um, several years ago, uh, there was a, a nun who worked on the streets of Calcutta. Her name was Teresa. They called her Mother Teresa. She won the Nobel Peace Prize, and, and when she received her award, she basically said, I just want to be a pencil in the hand of God. I want God to write the good news in my life. That's what she said. And I, and I heard that, and I thought, you know what, that, that's, that's a challenge to me. What, what kind of, of story is God writing through me? What kind of story is God writing through you? What are other people reading in your life as you're out and about? Is it the good news of the kingdom of God? Are you going to be a spectator? Or are you going to be a servant? That's the challenge before us. Do you see the main focus of Christianity as simply coming, sitting, listening, observing, while few paid professionals do the work of the church? Or is it more than that? Everywhere I go, church leaders are wringing their hands and they're asking questions like, how do I get our our people out of their seat and on their feet and out in the streets serving in the name of Jesus Christ? Don't wait for them to ask you to get out of your seat and on your feet and out in the streets serving the name of Jesus Christ. Just go do that today. You've been commissioned. The Lord Jesus Christ calls you to do that this very day. So will we be a church that looks outward and grows outward? Will we be a church that grows more diverse, not because of political correctness, but because of Christ-likeness? And will we be a church that looks to serve, serve sacrificially? Will our life together be occupied more by institutional maintenance and preservation or by the kingdom of God advancement? Will our perspectives about the church, how it should look, be colored more by our own prejudices or by the person of Jesus Christ? Will our views of church be shaped more by our own experiences or by the one who experienced the cross, Jesus the Christ? Will you have a future? What will your church like, look like? Will it look like Jesus? Uh, we're going to stand right now. Would you be standing? Our brother's going to lead a song. Uh, The title of the song is, Have You Been to Jesus? Have you been to Jesus? The question is, have you been to Jesus? And has he shaped your life? The leaders of this church stand ready to help you. If you need their prayers, if you need to be baptized into the Lord Jesus Christ today, some leaders of this church will help you. I'm excited about your future. You'll be a church that goes outward. You'll be a church that becomes more diverse because your population around you is. And you'll be a church that serves sacrificially. So let's go to Jesus.